guy with a mask and an electric personality moves through the world almost accidentally defeating his bad guys though throughout the psychedelic series we find ourselves asking what is real and is the mask max truly the hero of his own story or at least the hero that he wants to be welcome to detecting the marvelous we have an exciting week here with our incredible hosts matt ardell dan rosen and myself shahara gaznavi thank you very much how are you guys doing Ooh, I'm great, thanks. Oh man, that was an amazing intro. Yeah, you, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> so glad. I'm gonna need to start stepping up my intros because you guys, yeah, you guys are nailing yours. <laughs> I'm so Guyanese. I'm so Caribbean. I said the mask instead of the max, and I'm like, oh dear, I'm already started. <laughs> <laughs> I it's like, an like I constantly, thing, keep, I constantly keep doing that because he's like he is the max, but he's constantly talking about his mask. Absolutely. So like, it's a very yeah. I think, understandable mix-up to have yeah it was funny because when i was telling my sister that we were doing the max this week she was like oh the max like the mask with Dr- jim carrey that one and i was like no 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 you're close no, where's the mask? yeah no i get it yeah. although that is a comic too so we could do that it's a very Ooh. different comic than the movie though. <laughs> yeah how are, how are you guys doing Good, good. Yeah, just been enjoying reading these comics and uh, yeah, yeah. Really delving into my psyche with these ones. It's like, if this is your psyche, Dan, I'm a little concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this isn't my psyche. I don't think, Uh, but who knows? But it is like one of those ones. I think because it's so. I think this was like the first comic that really like got me into like psychology and thinking about that kind of stuff. and into the more less mainstream and more like psychedelic type uh comics uh so like that's i do uh yeah it was really cool to get into that and yeah delve into that yeah it's one of the for this one yeah yeah i mean like this is one of the interesting parts coming out of the 90s i know we're going to talk about some of the lows with ben in an upcoming episode but one of the highs i found was we pushed boundaries so you got you know, stuff like this and Sandman, um, also by the same artist, uh, mm-hmm. creating stories using the medium to tell things mature, but not necessarily like, oh, that's a mature story, but more of like a mature and a nuanced storytelling sense. Um, yeah. Not just like, oh, she's got boobies kind of thing. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, so it's an actual more grown up an adult story and that I thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, not just like, yeah. sorry, I was going to say, yeah. Instead of just being like, Oh, this is mature. Cause it's got swearing and female nudity or kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Never male nudity. That's true. Female yeah. Nudity. Non- yeah. Although I do, I've got to see if I can track down that, that uh, Batman issue uh, where, <laughs> where you see Batman sting dong. <laughs> uh, so, totally removed from market within a week. They're like, Next what time the on detecting the marvelous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ding dong. Detecting the marvelous ding dong of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it was a very interesting exploration of trauma and 
and and we're gonna get into it um but i'm really excited for it matt do you have a a history lesson for us yeah yeah um so sam keith uh was first published by comico comics at 17 with a story about a rabbit named max the hare that is some foreshadowing oh so uh, he really does tie his stories together um he went on to work on Mage and Fish Police as an inker before landing his role as the lead artist for Sandman, um, setting many of the iconic visuals and tones paired with Gaiman's uh, words, creating a very surreal and I'd say it it, it elevated the, the, the text because it was very dreamlike. Um, but he only lasted the first story arc. He only lasted the first five issues. Uh, he equated it to being Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles. Um, he he felt his style wasn't appropriate for the the larger material, uh, but it, I think it was important to those early stages because it helped create um, a different tone, but also set the stage for them to use different artists for different story arcs, creating a variation in style uh, that matches the story. Um, in 1992, uh, some of the industry's biggest names try- got tired of working for hire um, with contracts uh, where they created characters and stories but not owning them. So Image Studios was born, uh, which became the third largest distributor of and creator of comics in the North American comics industry. In 1993, Sam Keith was part of the second wave of creators uh, to join the label. Um, bringing original creations uh, to the to the ti- uh, title, including the main one being the Max, um, and uh, he left Marvel, where he at the time he was working on the Hulk. Uh, he's collaborated with a lot of great comic greats in the Mask. Uh, sorry, in, I I just did it in the <laughs> Max. Uh, he wrote all thirty five issues, but he had guest stints with Alan Moore and Bill uh, Messner Loeb. Uh, also collaborated with Alan Grant. Uh, he has touched on everything from the Aliens franchise to Batman and his Arkham Asylum Madness. Uh, he which spent two weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and has even done some Judge Dredd work. Um, He produced and co-wrote the Max animated series on MTV back when MTV was doing weirdness like Aeon Flux. (laughs) Um, He is a recipient of the San Diego Comic-Con Inkpot Award in 2013. And I am looking forward to Channing Tatum's The Max film, which is actually happening. Not like his gambit, but it is in pre- he earlier the uh, or late last year, he said it's uh, it is coming together and it's in pre production. So Channing Tatum as the Max. I don't. He's producing it. I okay. don't know if he's going to be the Max. I mean, he he could be. Like, there's no yeah. reason he couldn't. I think he's an underrated actor. Um, but he's at least producing it. So yeah. so yeah interesting okay cool well that's cool because that that was something that like when i read it i was like oh come on i want this to be like i would love to see like uh the max um yeah a max movie uh especially since the tv show basically only it ends after like six episodes unfortunately but yeah 
it definitely it have to be done in a way sort of like i don't know if you watch the legion tv show which mm, is yes i really liked because it kind of embraced the bonkers nature of the character but yes, it would have to yeah. sort of lean into that and i mean it's sort of similar in themes studying psychological trauma and disease disassociative disorders and that kind of thing um but yeah it'd have to it'd have to sort of be like kind of surreal just by the nature oh. of the book oh for sure <laughs> yeah i wonder what it'd be like to cast somebody who we don't like know it would be an unrecognizable character so that stays true to the fact that we don't know what's underneath the max's mask yeah um and if anything like if channing i feel like channing Tate would be a great cast for it it would just be like what really does lie beyond that mask and is it yeah. is it something like I, I don't know like would they change his face would they because that's a big mystery for me. And I think that, that that's what makes it so compelling is that he's yeah. a mystery to himself. I, yeah. I, I kind of do feel it's, it's Max the hair. I think, think it really so? is. Well, because he, he imagines himself with a bunny face. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, I, and you know, he, he, all these works tie in like, so he, I'll, when we get later on in the round table, I'll talk about some of his other works. But I think he's, I think he's, a, but he's also really hates meat eaters. And he talks mm. about how he can smell the meat on their breath and stuff. And he's a vegetarian. Right. Yeah. So I think he's her bunny. Yeah. Just have, wearing you, have, a mask. have you, have either of you read more beyond this first arc? No, no. Okay. No. Okay. But I downloaded cool. like the hundred page um, annual and everything. So I'm, I'm 100% interested in continuing with this character. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, because I yeah I read I like I remember somehow a friend of mine lent me like the like all six volumes and it's interesting because I think it was also unfortunately the run ended before he they he could do more and like uh it's interesting like in the uh, like sort of this first arc like or first main storyline with like uh, the Max and Julie gets ended and then something new kind of starts but it yeah ends up and I think then there's like a the max and friends or whatever but if you put all volumes together they did one where like it has like it completes an image of the max as well um oh, cool. on the like side like sort of uh on the side of it so when you have so that way like if you have it lined up in your comic book library like i had uh when i was younger then yeah in high school That's so yeah cool. well dan do you want to tell us why you uh chose max yeah, so it was like in high school, I I think it was around probably grade 12, and I had been, you know, like I'd been reading, you know, like a lot of like Spider-Man, Wolverine, The Hulk, Fantastic Four, Superman, Batman, so I was very much in the Marvel and DC world, and then I had a fr uh, someone personally recommended this to me, uh, Steve Martin himself, a high school friend of mine named Steve Martin, not the actual very famous <laughs> came in with a banjo was like yeah, yeah exactly. you gotta read this <laughs> yeah um for sure uh poor steve got so many so much flack for having the same name as uh <laughs> despite being a very funny person himself um but yeah so anyhow <clears throat> he was like oh you gotta check out this comic book and so he lent me like all six volumes and yeah i just like went through it super quickly and it was very cool uh like it was one of those things where like we were both in the school play together and so in between like during after school rehearsals we'd be like 
talking about like oh yeah like i just got to like this part and this thing and whatever so it was just something that was like so different and like you said like it's so this like bonkers uh into someone's psyche where i'm like oh like like after after reading like comic books where there are like the superhero stuff which tends to be more traditional um way of like you know sort of having the story arcs and stuff and it's a lot more straightforward and a lot less cryptic i was like oh this is really cool to like read something that's like so cryptic and they like, can be very serious but also like very silly at some points too but like understanding like yeah we're going to go into some like silly psyche stuff and acknowledge that yes this is very like weird and wacky and out there um so i'll give a brief uh synopsis there's i was trying to like synopsize everything and it was like there's so much that happens because it's like you're talking about like characters being introduced and like it bouncing in between uh you know like the real world and out back um and i will i think just in case uh, i think it's helpful to do a trigger warning here that there is a lot of talk about you know like sexual assault in this series and violent stuff but i do think the way it is discussed with is in a very it's done in a very healthy thoughtful way and not like exploitative for the sake of having like a dark serious talk i think sam keith is really trying to examine trauma and <clears throat> what it's like um and so yeah it, it all starts off with the max our superhero or at least he's you know like thinking of himself as a superhero in this cardboard box with a very film noir style narration but in a way that's kind of like sort of like we know he thinks in film noir style and then every now and then he's like oops i'm actually speaking out loud uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's why everyone always looks at me weird which to be honest also is like very much i think speaking towards like uh homelessness and mental illness because like sometimes you walk by someone who's homeless and you hear them saying talking out loud was something that might be nonsense but it obviously like or sounds like it's you're like what's this person going on about like this you know quote unquote like rambling crazy person but it is like in that person's head it all makes sense and it's them making sense of their situation uh so he has this very like sort of like unhoused batman homeless batman sort of vibe to him um and so it's very early established he's got these mental issues and there's this like skinny head villain who's the real villain who is going after like women in the neighborhood uh and uh, who we later on found out his goes by the name of mr gone uh, we meet Julie Winters, a uh, freelance uh, social worker who gets called to bail Max out of jail and often gets commented on how, like, sort of provocatively she's dressed. Um, and, uh, you know, there's people and you see uh, there's also these little characters uh, that go meet me called uh, Izzes, like I-S-Z, uh, these little, like, who uh, often, like, Basically, like they're there almost to like annoy Max, and he chases after them, and they usually lead him to Mister Gon, the bad guy, who calls him Brer Lapin, which I guess is kind of like a very loose, almost like sort of uh, loose, basically translation of Brother Rabbit. Um, where so I think that's where he gets his like self-image of the rabbit, as Matt mentioned. Um, I also say that I do appreciate that with all the talk of sexual assault and uh, sexual violence in it 
they never show or like describe the details of it. It's mm-hmm. you see the after effects, the like psychological and physical after effects of it without it being gratuitous. So I do think it shows that he does have a respect for what he's talking about. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of recent movie that came out, Women Talking, where, again, if you see that movie, uh, you never see any of the actual violence. Uh, it's all just the aftermath and how it's affected the women in the story. And I think that's uh, a much more respectful way instead of like uh, in film school, I remember like the student films always be like, oh, like we need to like guys being like, we need to do a dramatic story. I know, right, or whatever, you know? And so it is a much more like, I think thoughtful approach to things. Um, so then, yeah, like, and <clears throat> so there are all the, there's this, constant fighting between Max and Mr. Gone, and then he eventually also kidnaps Julie and uh, ties her up. But, you know, she doesn't, she, even though she's, like, tied up in this weird outfit that he's kind of put her into, uh, she doesn't give into fear, and she eventually, like, breaks the straps uh, and fights back against him. And, uh, like, that issue two cuts, like, before you see, like, what he's, uh, what she's done. In a way similar to like, uh, we're eventually yeah, going to talk to Ben about Wolverine number 90. Uh, kind of reminded me of that. Um, and uh, the Max is constantly trying to, you know, go out and <clears throat> say, so basically he's, oh, he sees himself as like Julie's superhero. And what's interesting is when they talk about a lot of these darker issues of trauma and so on, Julie's saying like, oh, like sometimes she's almost like victim blamey. Like, she's very, like, sort of like, oh, like, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You can't do this or whatever. But you can see she has her own trauma she's dealing with. And the Max is almost the one who's, like, putting out, like, feminist theory, being like, no, like, that's blaming the victim. You got to, like, do this and so on. Um, There's also, I do really appreciate, there's a lot of, like, pop culture parody as when the Max is chasing and is through this alternate reality in his mind, the outback. You see a spotted Susadon, uh, which is like a ode to like you know Dr. Seuss characters. Later on, there's like a Calvin and Hobbes looking kid who mm-hmm. has a stuffed ocelot Nietzsche instead of a stuffed tiger Hobbes. Uh, so there's a lot of these neat little like sort of nods to actual uh, pop culture. Um, and the Max eventually is running through the outback in one in issue three. He gets like caught in a net and then like fights mr gone in that realm uh yeah and i don't i don't want to actually go too much into it uh other than i'll say like in issue four there's a new character sarah who's introduced who wants to be a writer and her mom is friends with julie and she sometimes sees julie as a uh, for social work and she wants to be a writer uh, and there were some fun lines where she says, like, writers are supposed to shock people. And I'm like, all right, edgelord comedian Sarah. <laughs> uh, where, like, it's funny because, yeah, she does talk about how, like, she was friends with this guy, Jimmy, who would beat up littler kids and take their money, which she thought was cool. So I was like, all right, maybe she is an edgelord comedian. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so she has uh, so she has this other, like, and her dad, they show it, like, kind of looks like. Mr. Gone. And so, uh, yeah, so there's a lot going on where it jumps in and out and you start getting closer and closer to like what the trauma is 
that you know Julie has been pushing down and uh, what more clues about the Max, the trauma, because like he takes off his mask and sees a, a bunny, f- uh, yeah, like a rabbit face and seeds fall out of his face. Uh, like I said, it's a very trippy thing. I wonder if I had, uh, what it would have been like if I had discovered drugs before reading this, <laughs> you know, just like, so it was, uh, yeah, like very interesting uh, to read. And um, it has also like one of my favorite images that I remember as a kid in a comics at the end of issue three, <clears throat> where Julie and Max, after like a big part of her trauma is revealed. And she's talking to Max, and it's just these two little small panels uh, from behind of them sitting next to each other. And then she leans her head on his shoulder and says, I'm going to be just fine. And that, I remember, was always like a very emotional thing for me, where like I think it was the first time where like a comic really emotionally hit me more so than any other um, like superhero comic. Uh, So, yeah, and so basically it goes from there and you get all kinds of uh stuff where then like julie starts going into this outback world and delving into her own psyche as well and uh yeah there's a lot of uh great stuff there's even interesting things it's almost like an issue six has like a pronouns mention that almost is like sort of like very like beyond the non-binary before that was talked about where someone there's this like character the dragon that gets in and she's just like, hey, you're the dragon. That's my pronoun, son, kind of thing, or like that. So it's, uh, I don't know, like it's very interesting. Uh, I thought it was really cool, and uh, it'll be cool to hear, like, hear what you guys think about what happens in the future with this character because, uh, yeah, it really goes down, pun intended, the rabbit hole, so to speak, <laughs> of their psyche and with the other characters involved, and you see more of like, really get more into Sarah's character as well and like what's going on with her mentally. Um, yeah. And yeah, you sort of solve of like, find out like, you know, what happened with the Max and why there's this outback world and all that. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Um, it's, it's really, it's a very, like you said, trippy. It's very nineties in a lot of ways. Like, like mm-hmm. those outfits that Julie is wearing. It's just like, Oh, club kid chic, like going to a rave. Yeah. Um, but it, it comes right out of the gate. Like it doesn't handhold you, which I thought was a nice change from a lot of its contemporaries. Because I mean, all three of the books that we're talking about that are older books are all basically from the exact same time. Yeah, like 1993, um, 1994, like five. Yeah, 92, 93, 94. Uh, yeah, so they're all kind of contemporous. Um, and it's like very different storytelling techniques across all all three of them. Um, but yeah, like this is this doesn't hold your hand. Like it's adult in that it's it's telling an adult story, but it's not adult in that it's gratuitous and it's it's expression of violence or grief or pain or or anything mm. um, i was worried i was like oh no am i going to discover that like this is problematic and hasn't aged well and then i was like oh, <laughs> i think it's <laughs> it, and i mean i think that's the interesting thing is like because i mean it's funny there is a sandman reference in here too um right. when sarah comes in um but like that's the thing it it 
treats it in a mature manner because like, you know, you have the conversation in it where Max and Julie are talking about indecent proposal. Um, right. And, and going into feminist theory on about that. And you have like glory and, um, and Julie sunbathing, uh, glory being Sarah's mom, um, sunbathing and talking about violence and media intercut with an issue where max is, is like or no sorry the follow-up issue to that it max watched too many cartoons and his like exploring his trauma via a dream where he's a cartoon and it shifts art styles yeah it's just yeah. It's, it's, it experiments so much and it's really cool yeah like going from like it, it, like everything that he says is a rhyme and it, it's like this yeah. messed up kind of cartoon world that he's in but it's still as violent he's still getting like chased by the is 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 is, um, is i think is. Yeah. yeah um yeah it made me feel like i grew up from like superhero like uh, of course we've talked about strange academy like it's it made me feel like oh like they think that i'm ready to like handle this level of comic storytelling um but in such an interesting way that the trauma like you said like didn't feel exploitative it felt like it was an exploration and um in the end when they like when they say that they're in julie's psyche and that um and that it's like this is the place where you go when you something has happened to you and it's like you can't quite go back from that it was very eye-opening and it really hit me mm -hmm. um in a way that a comic never has before so yeah and it even explores parasocial relationships in an interesting way at the closing where he's talking about the cancellation of cheers <laughs> and yeah. how these characters are kind of dead and now and the actors are fine but that relationship which is you know there's a different time a lot of people younger people don't necessarily appreciate the fact that there was a time when you couldn't really go back and just watch something you know like these people right. who are a part of your life every week for like 30 minutes bring you this joy they're gone effectively and yeah it is it's it's like he the, a lot of the themes keith deals with not just in the max but in his other works like ojo and my inner bimbo which uh which that was supposed to be a trilogy um of different works and that was his uh, Trotoverse because everything had a verse for a while there. Um, <laughs> but they all deal with grief, trauma, and self-identity, um, which is like, it's it's interesting because this seems to be like, is, and even if you go back to Sandman, the art around that, it kind of is, there's a lot of the similar themes. Um, but yeah, like Ojo is, was uh, a, uh, basically a study of trauma. And then Minor Bimbo is a character where there's a, a guy who's in denial of his feminine side and then it manifests. And he, as an external being, and I mean, that kind of ties back in a lot of ways to Julie and her externalization of her grief by overcorrecting in a way um where she's externalizing that like no i will be this because nobody's gonna stop me um mm. 
which is just it's interesting it's like you don't see this often if ever yeah and it's very i found it was very nuanced because you have like the kind of you know like julie you can see that julie like even what julie's saying is almost different than what she's thinking because she's saying like you know like oh like you know you can't just blame uh you know like it's your fault if you have you know like something bad happened to you whatever but then you can see that it really is more her just trying to this is her trying to deal with what happened to her being like you know and like instead of her realizing you know she was the circumstance of just you know something horrible that happened to her being like you know like no 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 i have to like take responsibility i can't just you know deal with that trauma and then that's why it gets pushed down into this outback world and yeah yeah and I mean, I think that that's something that you don't often see is this this reflection of how trauma affects people differently. Like mm-hmm. if, if at a surface read, and I mean, I think this is one of the sad parts about some of the comedians out there in the world. <laughs> On a surface read, I'm like, oh, geez, this is just a really horrible misogynistic take because it's like I've seen people say those same kinds of things but not in a nuanced way. Uh, But then when you like read through the story, it's like, it's clearly indicating that like, no, her words and her um, thoughts are two different things. And her words are a defensive shield to protect her from that trauma, to protect her from actually processing grief and pain and stuff, uh, you know, in a way that I find, Mm-hmm. really compelling it's, it's a really interesting creative piece of art that, that you don't often see yeah you teach like a psychology in the max like college <laughs> like university course almost on this yeah absolutely could it'd be required reading and it would be very effective i i don't know it felt it felt very modern in a way like this is the conversation we're having now and yeah. i'm glad that it didn't age poorly and terribly in that sort of way <laughs> Yeah, I was like, phew, still, yeah, still relevant. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, yeah, so we've been talking about the Max. uh, So thanks for joining us on Detecting the Marvelous, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Detecting the Marvelous, a Far From Here and showbizmonkeys.com co-production. Their producers are Dan Rosen, Matt Dill, and Shahara Ghaznabi. Music by Glenn Bouchamp and art by Ben Steamroller. Thanks for listening and remember, true believers, Excelsior! Excelsior!